Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I have a uh, friend who is going through a very difficult season in his life and his wife's. Uh, Because of the nature of their job, I cannot say their names, but they are actually missionaries in uh, in, uh, Ecuador. They are there trying to um, establish a church while doing some medical work. And in his latest card um, that he sends out, he asks for very specific prayer requests for him and especially his wife. His wife is suffering from some pretty severe depression. They miss having their family and friends around them. They still haven't made very good connections there. Uh, they, they, they said they're having this problem. It breaks my heart. They're having this problem because there's still this language barrier that they're trying to get past. They're having some setbacks in their ministry. And because of the dangers around them, they're working with some of the wild tribes there in Ecuador. And because of some of the dangers, they can't even leave the compound to go out to dinner. They feel very secluded. And this is really messing with his wife's depression. And in his letter, he said, they just found out that they're not going to be able to even come back to the States, celebrate Christmas with uh, their family and friends. And he said, under his prayer request, he says, please pray for us. We have never experienced being alone like this. Loneliness is a very severe thing, and it's a very common thing in our society. So if I was to ask the question today, are you lonely? I would get multiple answers. And there are different versions of loneliness. There are different ways people feel lonely. You know, perhaps you feel lonely because of what we experienced with COVID over the past few years. I mean, these past three years have been pretty crazy. And because of COVID, the sense of isolation has begun to fester in such a way that we now live in a day and age of public isolation. I mean, people are even alone in their beds late at night with a glowing screen on social media. And although there is this digital connection as a facade, there is still this deep-seated loneliness. Perhaps you feel lonely because of the shelter in place that we went through. You miss giving people hugs. Social distancing really made things difficult for you. If you like to be around people, maybe you feel lonely because others have passed on before you. Maybe it's because of the holidays. The holidays, they have this tendency to bring up things from the past. And although Christmas, which we're celebrating, is one of the most joyous times of the year, at the same time, it is also one of the most loneliest times of the year for so many people. Perhaps you feel lonely because you are in a big room like this. You're in a crowded church, and you feel like no one sees you. No one says hi to you. No one truly knows who you are and what you're going through. Maybe even the opposite. Maybe you've reached the top of a mountain in life. And you get to the top of the mountain, and you realize it's not what you thought it was. And just like King Solomon, you tell everybody to go back down. There's nothing up here. You're just a lone king in an isolated castle. The federal government actually did a study about loneliness. And keep in mind, this is the federal government. 
This is not some website, not some university. The federal government, a couple years ago, did a study about isolation, and they say that isolation uh, or living alone can have the same medical detriments as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 15 cigarettes. That's how bad isolation is for you. The same medical detriments as smoking 15 cigarettes. That's almost an entire pack. I mean, what, what, what does the Bible say about loneliness? Right? Proverbs actually speaks against isolation. It talks about the unwisdom and even the wickedness of isolation. It, it, it's Because the isolation, it says, that's where the devil is going to meet you at. That's where, he's, that's where he's going to get you alone and have you right where he wants you. When God created everything, he said that everything was good except for one thing. What did he say? It was not good for man to be alone. And yet, I have been through some times in my life, and I know you have too, of extreme loneliness. Because what I have found is that in those terrible moments, in those terrible times in my life of loneliness, those have actually birthed some of the most terrific memories of God's faithfulness in my life. Let me let you in on a little secret. Here is the cure to loneliness. You will never be less lonely than when you learn to get alone with God. You will never be less lonely than when you learn to get alone with God. Because only in him can your soul be satisfied. Only in him can you taste of the living waters and have your soul find peace. You and I were designed in our DNA to be connected with God, to be in relationship with him. And because of sin, because of the fall of man, that disconnect happens. That is why it's so important to go into what the Bible calls as the secret place, a place of solitude, to get alone with God. Because only in him can you find true rest. Only in him can you come to him, taste and see that he is good. And the living waters will begin to flow out of your soul so that way when you go around other people, you can say, come and see what my God can do. Come to the well, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because my God is Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. His banner over me is love. My God is Jehovah Jireh, which means he's the God who provides. He provides everything I need. My God, he is also Jehovah Rapha, which means he's the God who heals. He heals us. It's by his stripes, by his wounds that we are healed. My God, he's also El Roy. That is one of the first nicknames given to God from an Egyptian slave girl immigrant named Hagar. She was dying alone in the desert. God rescued her. She said, you are Elroy. You are the God who sees. He sees you. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Who's the Father? He's the God who sees you. Let me let you in on this very simply. You are never alone. Till the ending of the age. No, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter if you feel like you have failed on some level of morality or ethics, No matter the traumas you have been through or the dramas you have weathered, no matter the crosses you've borne or the losses you've endured, can I put this simply for you? God is with you. He sees you. His name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isn't it amazing how even through the names of our Father, we can see this promise that he is always with us, that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us? The prophet Isaiah actually speaks a lot into this. Let's look what Isaiah says. Because our God, he is Jehovah 
Nisi, that means the Lord is my banner. His banner stretches out for everyone. Isaiah chapter 11 says, on that day, the root of Jesse, Jesus, will stand as a banner for the, for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people who survive. From Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the coast and the islands of the west. He will lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. No one is without sight from God. His banner is love and it stretches out for all. Our God is also Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. Isaiah 43 says, now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and you and your Savior. He then goes on to say, I have given Egypt as a ransom for you. Cush and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I will give people in exchange for you, and nations instead for your life. He provides everything. My God is also Jehovah Rapha, which means he's the God who heals. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. He's the God who heals. He is also named Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is the story we read at Christmas all the time. This is the prophecy of Jesus coming. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Church, this is the story of Christmas. That even in a dark, broken, and lonely world, God sees us. And he says, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to have him die for their sins so that he can reestablish that connection in a very personal way. Because he's the God who sees us. He is with us. Now, I love studying about the Apostle Paul. I love studying about Paul. Paul is someone who could relate to being loneliness, and many would have succumbed to loneliness had they been in Paul's shoes. Let me give you a quick backdrop, uh, quick backdrop on Paul. Paul had a decade of ministry. During his ministry, Paul would travel somewhere upwards of 20 miles a day. That's a lot. I don't know about you, but not many people can keep up with you if you travel 20 miles a day. Paul, he has been shipwrecked. He has been beaten. He was bitten by a snake. He was stoned. He was left for dead. And he was consistently in and out of prison. If anyone could say that nobody can relate to the heightened suffering I have endured, it is probably Paul. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like no one can relate to what I'm going through? No one sees me where I am. No one can relate to this suffering. No one can relate to this lonely prison I am in. Paul could relate. But instead, Paul actually chooses to have a different perspective. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we actually see Paul, he actually says that even though we go through all of these things, even though we have suffered, he says even though we are sorrowful, he says we can always be rejoicing. What? He says we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So even in our laughter, we can experience sorrow, right? Well, the inverse is also true, that even in our sorrow, we can always be rejoicing. Church, can you really rejoice when everything around you is sorrowful and it feels like everything in your world is turning you and like you're into this prison and everything is just going horribly wrong? Can you really rejoice in those situations? Yes. Yes, you can. Because listen, if you are a Christian, this is for you. If you are a Christian, your joy is not predicated upon your environment. Your joy is predicated upon the Prince of Peace. And in him, you do not need pity parties from others. Rather, you have power. That's how it works. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That This is what I want to get across to us today. That God sees us. He is with us. In him, we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Now, Paul is someone who has experienced sorrow in his life. Paul, Paul, he, he had no one. He didn't have a family. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have children. He was always traveling. He didn't have a home. I, I just returned. I was in Nashville all week, and I just returned back. While I was down there, I stayed at this beautiful condo. I mean, this place was beautiful. It's set just outside the city. It was kind of secluded. It was a lot more than I ever thought it could be. There was a king-sized bed with more pillows than anyone could ever need. And although this place was beautiful, I had trouble sleeping at night because I was very aware that this was not my home. Even though the place was great, it was not my home. Paul didn't have that feeling. Paul didn't get to stay in nice condos. He didn't get to stay in fancy hotels. Most of the time, Paul actually stayed in prisons. This was his experience. Even at the end of Paul's life, Paul says that everyone... Everyone has forsaken him. Paul says, I have no friends. This is a very lonely life. Now, in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing the letter to this church. And as he is writing this letter, he is actually in a Roman prison. And most scholars believe that as Paul is in this prison, he is actually chained to a Roman guard around the clock. That these Roman guards would actually take four-hour shifts being chained to him. So here's Paul in this prison, chained to a Roman guard. What do you think he's thinking? I know what I would think, but I think Paul thinks differently. I think Paul was probably thinking, God, God, this is a layup. This is a layup, God. Touchdown, home run. This is perfect. Because why? What was Paul's mission? In Acts chapter 9, we actually read about the calling of Paul. And God said that Paul's mission is four things. He said Paul would preach to Jews, preach to Gentiles, preach to kings, and the Lord would show him what great things he must suffer. Paul says this is perfect. I'm chained to a Roman guard. I'm going to preach to them. Paul says I have a captive audience, literally. You know, I, I, I imagine that... Uh, Paul, as he is in prison, you know, the guards are probably like, nope, no, nope, Paul, not listening, not listening. But Paul, he's just chained to them, so he just 
Tugs on the chain, pulls the finger right out of the ear. Now, I imagine some of the guards were probably like, ah, I, I'm kind of interested for my shift today with Paul because he's saying some very interesting things. Some of the other guards were probably like, ah, oh, this guy will not shut up. He's preaching for four hours. Church, have you ever sat through a four-hour message? <laughs> Do you want to try that today? No? Okay. Paul says this is perfect. I'm going to preach to them. There's something about Paul. Even in Acts chapter 17, we see Paul and his friend Silas. They're in a prison. They're praising God. They're singing at midnight in a prison. The Lord allows an earthquake to happen. The jail doors swing wide open. Paul could have escaped his prison right there. He could have ended that temporary suffering right there. But he chose to stay. And as a result of that, the jailer says, what must we do to be saved? There's something about Paul. You see, what others would view as a catastrophe, Paul sees as an opportunity. Isn't that interesting? Do you struggle with catastrophizing things? With overthinking? Having anxious thoughts? So much to where your mind begins to get swallowed in all these thoughts and it turns into a prison in your mind. What others would view as a catastrophe, Paul sees as an opportunity. In fact, we even know Paul sees as an opportunity because in Philippians, as he is writing this letter to the church, chained to a Roman guard in prison, Paul actually says that it's his chains, it's the prison has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He says that his chains and his prison is actually a good thing. Because he is preaching to the Roman guard. And the guards are actually spreading the news of why Paul is there. Spreading the news of Christ throughout the palace, throughout everywhere else. Let's read that. Philippians chapter 1, and verse 8. Paul says, now I, want to, now I want you to know something. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually what church? Advanced the gospel. Yeah. Has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my what? Imprisonment. Is because I am in Christ. Next verse he says, most of the brothers have actually, they've actually gained confidence in the Lord from my and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Paul says they speak it fearlessly. They have gained confidence because of my prison. You know what? Scholars actually have discovered. They have actually discovered that the Roman imperial guard that he was chained to is actually what's known to be the, what's called the Royal Roman Praetorium Guard. So the Roman Praetorian Guard, what the Praetorium Guard is, is actually this group of elite soldiers that serve directly to the king. They serve directly and work with the king. They are his personal bodyguards and special agents. The Praetorium Guard were the best of the best. I mean, we're talking, you know, Green Berets, SEAL Team 6 of the uh, Roman Imperial Guard. And these are the guys Paul is preaching to. They're the guys who are actually spreading what Paul is saying throughout the whole palace for everyone to hear, including the king. These guys were actually later nicknamed kingmakers. They were nicknamed kingmakers because they are responsible in part 
for naming the next rulers. They were directly with the king, and they're the ones spreading what Paul is saying throughout the whole place. Now listen, what was Paul's mission? His mission in Acts 9, if you had a chance to read Acts 9 on your own time, I encourage you to do that. It's about the calling of Paul and his mission. Paul and uh, Paul actually says, I'm sorry, God actually tells Paul that his mission is to preach to Jews, preach to Gentiles, preach to kings, and the Lord would show him what great things he would suffer. But little did Paul perhaps realize that it was through the great things he must suffer that the gospel would actually go to the king. Isn't that interesting how sometimes God will often do a reverse MO when it comes to fulfilling the mission in our lives? I mean, speaking the kings is fun. Suffering is not. These things are contradictory. Or what if perhaps through Christ, these things are actually complementary? What if it's through the great things you must suffer that the gospel would go to the king? What if it's through the great things you must suffer that the gospel is actually advanced? So what is it, God? Am I going to speak to kings or am I going to suffer many things? Answer, yes. Yes, both. Both. Listen, church, I want to present a question to you today. I want to present a question. What if your pain and your prison is actually the platform on which God will perform his power? Wouldn't that change your sense of loneliness? Dark thinking? Wouldn't that change your perspective? How you viewed your circumstance? What if it's actually the platform on which God is going to work through you? Eleven times in the book of Philippians, eleven times, eleven verses. Now there are only 104 verses in the book of Philippians. So eleven times, that's roughly one out of every ten verses. Eleven times Paul speaks of the mind or mindset. What if you're catastrophizing, overthinking, anxious thoughts? What if that is just in your mind and you are actually standing on the ground where God is going to perform his power through you? What if? I mean, didn't that happen to Joseph? Joseph had a dream that God was going to elevate him to a place of power, to a place of influence. But then he was thrown into a dungeon. Right? And it was, it was in the prison that he met two men, the butler and the baker, who both worked for the king. And it was through those men that Joseph was introduced to the Pharaoh. Same thing with Paul. It was in Paul's prison that he preached to the praetorium guard. And through that, the gospel could go to the king. No matter what, God's got you. His will will be done. Because all things work. Are you ready for this crazy idea? This novel idea you've never heard of before? You probably know what I'm going to say. All things work together for the good. No matter what, God's will will be done. The question is, will you let him work through you no matter the circumstance? We go through some bad stuff. Not all of it's from God. Some of it may be. We go through difficult times, but Paul believed that there was a purpose greater than your pain.
But we can rest in four words that Paul says. These four words that Paul says, we can use as a takeaway. Paul says, God is my witness. We might need to say that out loud. Church, say, God is my witness. We need to try it one more time. God is my witness. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul actually says, for God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you. Paul, he was lonely. He missed people. He was in a prison. He longed to see people. But he says, for God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Not many people could relate to what Paul was going through. But God could. Not, not many people could understand the suffering he was enduring, but God could. Paul actually says that he has built up in his body the sufferings of Christ Jesus for the sake of the church. It's as if Jesus was vicariously living through Paul. Paul said, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. God is my witness. So he's not just the concrete king, but he can also relate to being a suffering servant. He sees us. He knows what we're going through. He's our Elroy. He sees us. He understands. Paul says, God is my witness. But I think it's also important to know what he doesn't say. This might be hard to hear, but he doesn't say that God pulled him out of the circumstance. He doesn't say God pulled him out of the situation. He doesn't say that he quit longing after people. He doesn't say he quit being lonely. His prison did not stop being a prison. So many times we can make the mistake of thinking that exchanging our loneliness for connection with God means that we will not have to deal with difficult circumstances. Listen, exchanging loneliness for connection is not connecting God to your emotions or circumstance. But it is about aligning your will with God, no matter the emotion or circumstances you will face. If I can you say that again. Exchanging loneliness for connection. It's not about saying, God, I'm connecting you to what I'm going through. I'm wanting you to solve what I'm going through. I'm connecting you to all my emotions or the circumstance I am in. No, it is about saying, God, I'm connecting my will to yours. No matter the emotions or circumstances I know I'm going to face. It's about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following after him, no matter the cost. God wants to connect with our soul. That is how he wants to connect and draw us in. Listen. Are you lonely? I've been there. I've gone through that times more times than I could care to admit, and you could probably do the same as well. And it's hard when you feel like the cure or when the world tells you that the cure is to connect yourself to people in society, to people on earth. Sometimes that can be a good thing. That's why God gave us the church. That's why he wanted to build a community so that way we wouldn't have to go through these things alone. That's why he wanted to build a family, the body of believers as a church, so that we can bear each other's burdens. 
But listen, as long as your will is not aligned with God's, you will always feel lonely because our souls were designed to be connected to God. And that can be hard to accept that we can still face difficult times, that we can still be in a state of loneliness. But God is our witness. He sees what we are going through. He understands. But listen, you will never be less lonely than when you learn how to get alone with God in a place of solitude. We have to learn how to be alone with God. It has to be in a place of solitude. Listen, there is a distinct difference between isolation and solitude. Isolation is where you go to meet with the devil. That's a place you can be in where the devil can begin to creep into your thoughts, begin to work and play with your mind, and have you right where he wants you. Isolation is where you can go to meet with the devil. Solitude is where you go to meet with God. That is where you learn to be alone with God. Even throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus. He longs to go off by himself so many times to be in a place of solitude with God because only in God can your soul be refreshed with the living waters. Only in him can you find peace and comfort. We're at that time of year where we begin to read the Christmas story and we all celebrate traditions with the family. Christmas is a great time for that. One of our traditions is we read the Christmas story before we do anything in our house. We read from Luke chapter 2. I love, my favorite part of the story is when it gets to the shepherds. I love when the angels appear to the shepherds because shepherds, historically, were the social outcasts. Do you know that shepherds were actually social outcasts When they were even in towns, people viewed as what they did, living with animals, as unclean. They would not want to be in connection with shepherds. They did not want to associate with shepherds. A lot of times, shepherds would be thieves. Their lives were deemed as unvaluable because of the dangers of their job. Shepherds didn't have homes. They lived with the livestock. Oftentimes, shepherds would be alone. If there was a group of shepherds, a lot of times they would camp out on the four corners of the land and live there to protect the sheep, but they would be alone. Shepherds, when it comes to society back then, shepherds would be scraping the bottom of the barrel. About as lonely as you can get. And yet God says, I see them. That's who I'm going to send the angels to to tell of the birth of the Prince of Peace. I love this story. The angels appear to the shepherds. They sing glory to God in the highest. The Prince of Peace has come. Church, I want to read a little bit of this story from Luke chapter 2 because I want to maybe present to you a new perspective. Maybe you know it. Maybe you don't. Maybe, for me, I always overlook this. One little detail. That changes your perspective of what happened that night for the shepherds. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 15, it says, When the choir of angels disappeared and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Let's hurry and find this word, Jesus, who has 
who is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they hurried off and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in a feeding trough. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what they had just, what they had just been through, what had just happened. Everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were just told. But Mary treasured all of these things in her heart and often pondered on what they meant. Verse 20. The shepherds then returned to their flock, rejoicing over what had happened. They praised God and glorified him for all they had heard and seen for themselves, just like the angels had said. So after it was all said and done, after the shepherds met Christ, what did they do? They, they didn't spend the night there. They didn't begin to travel with Mary and Joseph. They didn't get to watch this young boy grow up into the man we know as Jesus. What did they do? They returned to their flock. They returned back where they came from. They had to go back into their lonely circumstance. But the difference is, the difference is now they have been connected to God. And they're not returning the same way. They're returning rejoicing and praising God over what had happened. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Going back to being a lonely shepherd, back into the lonely life, spending our nights with sheep out in the fields, being looked down upon in town. No one cares about us from the world's perspective. But Elroy, he sees us. They made a connection. They exchanged their lonely soul for connection with God. And now they can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing because they are connected to the Prince of Peace. I didn't finish what my friend um, wrote in his letter. He was asking for prayer because his wife is suffering with depression. They miss people. They miss their families. He said, pray for us. We're lonely. But that's not where he stopped. He went on to say, but we take rest in knowing that we are in the will of the Father. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the heart of Paul right there. I'm suffering. I'm going through difficult times. But God is my witness. He understands what I'm going through. The Prince of Peace comforts me. So I'm trusting that it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Listen, when your lonely soul is connected to God, oftentimes he will call you to go back into the same circumstance you came from. Because often he wants you there to perform power through you. To be a testimony through you. But the difference is, when your lonely soul connects to God, you can be sorrowful, 
yet always rejoicing. Because he is Elroy. He sees you. God is my witness. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.